Oh, this weather. This weather. I think I'd rather deal with the cold snaps than the, the freezing rain. Freezing rain always makes me nervous. Not only do I have to control my own vehicle, I now have to worry about others controlling theirs. But this too shall pass. I hope that this isn't a uh, foreshadowing of our year to come. <laughs> oh well. We shall see. <clears throat> but first Sunday service of 2024, that's a good thing. I don't know about you, but I was happy to see 2023 go away. There was not a tear shed in its departure. <laughs> not on my behalf, at least. I am looking forward to what the Lord is going to do this year. And as such, we get to start a new section in our uh, Sunday school lessons. And we will be looking at Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. And the Holy Scripture states, And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Today we're going to be talking about Ruth and the Redeemer. But first, the icebreaker is, do you have a favorite love story, fictional or non-fictional. And please don't say the Bible, that's cheating. <laughs> yes. Your love story, that's almost cheating. <laughs> the same? Brownie points. Um, I don't know that one. It's a movie. Anybody else have a favorite love story? No? I couldn't think of one either. I didn't read love stories when I grew up. But here, we have a story of love that is shown to people who necessarily what they do other than show up. I mean, really. The story begins with famine. And if you study the Bible, famine, when God introduces it, is always ushering in and moving pieces and people according to his will. I mean, Abraham was moved around because of famine. In and out he went. We have the brethren being reunited with Joseph because of famine. Now everybody said, oh, well, they sent Joseph to save them from the famine. God can speak a famine out of existence. And I will stop touching this. I know it's squeaky. But 
When famine shows up, God is doing something. Sometimes it's judgment. Famine showed up to judge his people. Famine would show up under the siege of war. And people will ask, well, why would God let them eat their babies? Because they were sacrificing their babies. Sometimes you have to eat what you're doing to realize how evil it is. They didn't care as they were tossing those babies into the fire. But now it's a tragedy when I have to eat it. Well, to God, it was always, always an abomination. But here's a famine. And what is amazing to me is that Eli Malek, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, his name means God is king. And famine is driving him out of the promised land. Now, when people come into the church, they're coming in with the expectation, the hope, just a glimmer of hope that there is life here. But the, the word of the Lord says that if we want to live in disobedience, we can create a famine. Now, I know he was talking about physical crops, but I believe you can create a spiritual famine too. People should never be driven out of the house of the God, the one true living God, because they're starving. And then, arrogantly for us to be like, well, I guess they didn't want it. Well, maybe. But when people start going in droves, we have to ask, God, is this your doing? Or is this our doing? And sometimes we'll even know the condition. Because we ourselves feel like we're starving. And we're staying. We'll all feel like we're in a season of drought. We'll all feel like we're not getting fed. And it's not from a man of God's lack of trying to give us bread. It's just that's what's going on. Now this famine, I would argue, is God purposed so that he would leave because he has to go get Ruth. When I look at Jericho, what was the point of Jericho? One, teach you how to walk without grumbling. They didn't learn that in the wilderness. <laughs> they grumbled a lot. So as you walk around this city to get victory, I need you to be quiet. <laughs> Sometimes our walk needs to be quiet. But the only thing that they were allowed to keep was not the silver, not the gold, not the garments. It was Ruth or Rahab. They fought for her and her household. And some battles, some walks are simply going to be for someone else. 
They were driven out of promise in Ruth so that Ruth could be brought into promise. I would argue this. Now, what I find interesting is the son's names mean a man of sickness, and Chilean means the end of things. And it starts out, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. But Ruth is about ready to usher in the end of the age of judges. Why? Because the son's married. Here he is, he fulfills his purpose. Now, this poor woman, Naomi, she has a rough go. I mean, rough as anybody. You're an Israelite. You can't stay in the land. You're now in the land of Moab. Your husband dies. Your two sons marry Moabites, and they die, both of them. Man, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Death is always one of the hardest trials you always face. And the problem is, is that for Naomi, it starts to see a shift in how she speaks of God and herself. Trials can change the way we speak. They really can. And not for the better. That's why it's kind of horrific when we have our church lingo that our speech in our heart, our speech in our home is being changed by a trial. And we come here where the body is here to encourage and to uplift. And we ask, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. I, no, you're not. No, I'm not. But we can't say that. We should say that. We should. But we don't. And man, doesn't that just make the trial worse? I mean, isn't it bad enough what you're going through? Now you completely feel like you're going through it alone? I mean, over the course of the year of 2023, there was times when it's who's going through something and everybody's hand in this church went up. Now, I would say that God was doing something. But I would also say that in those moments, those trials were so encompassing that we weren't even aware that others were going through their trials too. Everybody's sitting here going through trial together, and yet spiritually we're going through it alone. Completely isolated. Naomi has Ruth. And she starts to say, 
I want you, you two ladies, to go back to the house of your father. It grieves me what has come on your sakes because the hand of the Lord is against me. That's Naomi talking. That's just chapter 1, verse 13. It grieves me. You're God's people. How did you go from you're God's people to God is against me? I don't read anything in the text that exposes you as to why God would have done this. Not that it's really any of my business. But isn't it amazing how we can shift into a trial where God can sit here and even through tongue and interpretation say, I am with you. I have you in my hand. I am holding on to you. And all of a sudden next, God is against me. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. That's all right. That's all right. I don't need anybody to admit it. I'll stand up here and expose myself. I know I've had that. And they lifted their voices, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Now that word kissed means she touched her. But this word clave is the same that you find in Genesis when it's a man and a wife, they clave. See, one, one daughter-in-law was willing to touch, the other was not willing to let go. It is one thing to come in here and touch God. It is another thing to refuse to let go. It really is. You can get a touch from the Lord. You can get a touch from the Lord every single day and still not have a hold of Him. Well, I'm touching you, but I haven't gotten a hold of you. I haven't gone as... As Jacob said, I won't let go. He was fighting to exert his will, and then eventually he was fighting that I won't let you go. These are powerful things. These are powerful things, but Ruth demonstrates and declares something that is so powerful. She says in verse 16, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Now, I want you to see God didn't become her God until she was willing to sacrifice every exit. Marriage didn't make her declare God was her God. The relationship through her husband, if that was his God, which I will assume so, didn't transfer to her. But the moment she said, I refuse to leave and I will go and I'm not giving up on this. This is now my God. We have to get like that in the church. There are too many times and too many situations 
where the trials make us look at the door. And even if we won't physically go, we are spiritually gone. Because I'll go home and instead of opening my Bible, I'll open an app. And that's what I'm fellowshipping with. Why? Because that's now the God of my pain. I'm in distress, so I'm seeking comfort not from the Holy Ghost. I'm seeking comfort from the world. Trials will always show you where God is limited in your life. But Ruth said, no, no, no. I'm seeing this to the end. And if you die, I die. As the world progresses into what God said it always was, we need to get a mindset, I don't care what happens. We're going to see this to the end. I know that we sing about it. I know that it's preached about. I know that we hallelujah and run laps. But if we're honest, there are people that are no longer here that used to hallelujah with us at the same preaching. They used to run the laps with us. And I'm not pointing my finger and saying, oh my goodness, I'm so much better than you and you're so wicked. I'm saying that it will get me if I don't purpose, no matter what, I'm not leaving. Because if you don't think, if you're not going to make that commitment, the devil will find your out. He most certainly will find your out. A lot of people, I won't sell my soul. Oh, there's no amount of money he can give me. No, he got you for cheap. He gave you a fence. He bought your soul with a dirty look and some, some backstabbing talk. He got you cheap. He didn't have to even open his wallet. I mean, hey. And people would be like, oh, I'm still in church. Well, right. Are you still in your prayer room? Because that's where I would consider you backslidden. I would dare say that's where God would start to consider you backslidden. You're no longer with me. We're here doing this. And if I'm not in my prayer room, I'm never fellowshipping with Jesus. What I am going to become is not a saint, but a Pharisee. I'm going to allow religion to mold me. And that's where I can become so judgmental. Because I'm not in this through His grace. I'm not in this with Him. I'm not in this at all other than I'm here, you're not, I'm better. But guys, Ruth was about ready to be redeemed. She was about ready to meet a redeemer. And what I want us to recognize is she couldn't get there leading herself. It is false doctrine. It is an absolute deception of the enemy that you don't need a pastor. 
Oh, I don't need fivefold. I don't need this over me. That's a lie. Oh, I don't need to come to church. I can just sit home and have my own relationship. That's a lie. That's a lie. Ruth couldn't just go and show up and lead herself into these dimensions. Now, Naomi is going through it. She gives up trying to talk her out of it. I find it funny and I find it amazing that we love to praise Elisha because he wouldn't leave Elijah, but Ruth walked in that dimension first. I would say that the ladies opened those steps. I would. But Naomi, Naomi, when she gets back, they're like, is this Naomi? Is that her? Boy, if you're, if you're questioning if that's you, you know that you had a rough outing. <laughs> I'm just saying. But then, right, she changed her name and she said, Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She no longer sees God as a blesser, but as someone who is opposing her. Boy, that's a bad place to be in your trial. And she changes her name to literally mean bitter. Now, here's the problem. I had to counsel somebody recently, and they're like, why aren't my promises coming to pass? I'll be like, do you want an honest answer? Yes. I think the devil stole them. The devil didn't steal them. The seeds are there, but seeds don't activate Heavenly seed does not respond to bitter water. It won't grow. This is why James says, listen, out of your mouth, it should not be both sweet and bitter. You can't do this. These things that God are seeding into you will not respond to that bitterness. You're never going to get it to start to come to fruition. And so now she's in a place where she's like, call me Mara. And the thing that I love more than anything about this story is in verse 22. God refuses to even acknowledge it. It starts with, so Naomi. Scripture won't even call her Mara. Never again do you hear that name referenced. Because you know what? I love that we have a God who refuses to name us in our hardest and lowest moments. And sometimes the mercy and grace of God is to not hear what you just prayed. Some people are like, oh my goodness, God doesn't hear me. Maybe that's grace. <laughs> what are you praying? What are you praying? I've heard people, oh, I wish God would just give me the power so that I could speak these things. Can he trust you to speak those things? Who would you harm if you had that kind of authority and wouldn't even mean to in a moment of anger you would destroy? 
So Naomi. And as they go, they come across, they come back, and Naomi directs her, hey, go into the field. So Ruth's like, let me go. Naomi's go. This is another thing of submission, is asking permission to go where you know you should be. Oh, well, I know I'm being called to a fast. Oh, I know I'm being called to that. Did you get covering before you went into that field? People think that they can just walk into whatever they want to. That's not the way submission and authority works. The pastor isn't here to browbeat us. He's not here for when just because you mess up. I mean, thank the Lord that we have a man that can help lift us up and turn us around in our mistakes. But he's also there for blessing and covering, to pray over you before you step into this. Why would you not want that? But as they go, I find it funny that the Redeemer only noticed her because she was amongst the reapers that were working the field. See, you really want to get God's attention? Start working his field. And he will go to the reapers and say, who is that? You now have the Redeemer's undivided attention. Who is that? We have been told 172,000 angels have been dispatched to Sterling since I've been here. So I don't know what's been dispatched before that. On top of a massive warrior angel that is a prince of a city. That's just waiting for a daughter work to be birthed. Because the prince of the city's here. You know how many reapers, angelic reapers that is? That the moment you start to touch the harvest, you have the Redeemer's attention. And so, what we see next that is so vitally important is he tells her, Boaz tells Ruth, go not glean in another field. Restriction is going to be part of your redemption. People don't understand the process that when you're being restrictive, when you're being told you can't touch that over there, you can't go into that over here. You have to stay within these parameters and you're only allowed to eat what is grown within this field. People say, oh, well, you know, the church is just trying to keep me from having fun. It's trying to get you into redemption. God sets the parameters and the Redeemer says, listen, if it's not my field, I don't want to find you in it. 
If I'm not sowing there, I don't want you there. Because the enemy owns his fields too. And he'll sow tares and he'll sow whatever he can. Part of what the devil did with Adam and Eve was to deceive through the fruit. And you know that with the tongue, the first thing you taste on the tip of your tongue, that's sweetness. Your sweet sensor is on the tip of your tongue. So you realize you can't even test sin like this. Because all you're going to get is that season of pleasure. You taste it, you're like, man, that, mm, that's, that's good. That's not bad. But bitterness is the very back of the throat. It's the back of the tongue. It's once you have eaten, once you have started to ingest, now it's a uh-oh. Uh-oh. And so the Redeemer says, listen. While you're under me, I don't want you in anybody else's field. There are so many little G's out here growing things that God doesn't want to have to come get us out of. Don't touch that. And so when she stays there, all of a sudden in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, and at mealtime, you come here. I want you to come here. And I want you to eat this bread, and I want, and she sat beside the reapers. You know, my, my father-in-law, he told me something profound I hadn't cons considered before. He said, you know, eternity only has two places. I'm like, right. <laughs> Heaven and hell. He's like, yes. He said, but if you look at it scripturally, it's either the place that God prepared for you or the place God prepared for the devil. And if you feel out of place in the earth, how much more so will you feel in that place? Because hell wasn't made for man. If it was, there'd be no hell. The blood of Christ would have put out the flames. But the reason it's still there is because it wasn't made for man. It was made for the devil. And he's going, to, he's going to get it. Whether he likes it or not. But the Redeemer has her sit amongst the reapers and it says that Christ sits us in heavenly places. You want to sit in heavenly places? get into the Redeemer's field. And all of a sudden, he will start making bread. And as this provision comes, all of a sudden, he makes a seat, and you're sitting amongst the angels. You're like, how did I get here? Not by your own effort. It's by the blessing of the Redeemer that you're in this place. And so, she goes forth, and she takes the barley and she gathers amongst the sheaves. And he even tells his, his reapers, hey, leave stuff for her. Leave stuff for her. You ever find that when you start doing the work and will of God, that all of a sudden more and more start showing up? You start gathering more 
than you did at the beginning when you first started. It just seems to pick up and you're like, man, I'm getting kind of full here. That's because you're being blessed. The Redeemer saying, hey, make sure that we're leaving in abundance. And when she did that, she came out with an ephah. And this is amazing to me. If she's in the Redeemer's field, but she has yet to be redeemed. I would argue that this is where a lot of church members mess up. You're in the process of redemption and you stop because you got blessing. To think that because I am in his field is the same thing as being at his feet. It's not. Because the next chapter is going to sit here and she's going to command Ruth. Naomi's going to command Ruth. This is what you do. Now I want you to see the dynamic here that is taking place. Is Naomi really is the one that needs redemption. She's the one that needs to be redeemed from the kinsman redeemer. She has no heir now. And at the back of the book, we get it's Naomi is blessed. Blessed be the Lord, for he has not left thee this day without a kinsman. It's Naomi. They don't, the, the ladies aren't talking about Ruth. They're talking about Naomi and what the Redeemer did for Naomi. But she has to go in and Naomi can't access her redemption without somebody going forth because we think that we can get our promises without the body. It's promised to me. I don't need anybody else. And yet when we're all trying to get our own promises under our own effort, how many of us have been waiting on our promises for a long time? Not seeing that the new convert might be the person that God's waiting for you to put at his feet to release what you have been promised. Because redemption is not just about changing your status. It is about birthing what is about ready to bring forth the prophetic. The kinsman redeemer was to make sure you're not barren. When all you are is barren, you're lying to yourself that you have completed redemption. You're in the field. You're, you're talking to the Redeemer. I'm not, I'm not sitting here and arguing your relationship. I'm saying that there is a deeper level that where you're at is not yet accessing. It's not accessing it for me. And Naomi, for her to get it, she has to send Ruth. If I, as a spiritual leader, and I wouldn't really call myself one, but if I'm in a spiritual leadership position and I think 
if I have a church and I'm pastoring and all of a sudden I have to be the one that accesses everything and if I'm not the one that's touching it, well, it'll never get released. Nothing's going to get released because I'm arrogant. If I'm running the youth, there's going to be youth that are going to release things that the youth leader's been promised because of where they're at. They went to the feet and they're under your guidance and direction, which is why this overflowing redemption starts to be released. But so long as I think, well, I don't need anybody. I can just do it myself. Well, Naomi, you're not going at his feet. Boaz isn't going to marry you. There are things that these people who are coming into the church, not only are they going to have promises of their own, they might be the answer to our awaited promises. And so, Ruth can't go into this dimension without submission. Because she didn't get there herself. I can't just go there without the man of God saying, hey, it's time to go. The Lord really stirred this on me. You need to go to here. Okay. Okay. You need to go into prayer. You need to do this. Okay. I'll go into prayer. I'll go sit at his feet. You're, telling, you're calling me to prayer? I'll go sit at his feet. Okay. But when she uncovered her feet, I uncovered his feet, I want you to see where she did it at. It was at the threshing floor. This is the place where you beat the wheat. This is the place where the chaff is separated. This is where that iron winnowing fork is used. This is where it's constantly being tossed into the wind. And so when you're in this place, and you're asking God, why am I constantly being served up to the devil? Why is he constantly being allowed to come near me? Maybe you're being threshed. Maybe he's tossing you up so that the chaff will blow away and the wheat will fall back into its place. But the threshing floor is where you're going to meet the feet of the Redeemer. And when I don't want to deal with threshing at all, I'm not going to show up at his feet if that's where I have to be to get there. When I refuse process, I really am refusing the power of his redemption. The threshing floor is where I'm going to meet it. And so, the next thing I need to notice is that Ruth didn't say anything. There are times where we have to sit at his feet and be quiet and wait for him to speak. So much of my prayer life is about me talking to God. And if I'm honest, that is the majority of my conversation is me talking to him. When if I really want this power released, I have to just sit in his presence and he will talk to me. I find this amazing because 
as they go through, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, the one who would birth a child in the name of the lost, is also, is also going to be the one that can be the avenger of blood. It would be the next male kinsman to go avenge blood. And I have had God smack me on this one. Where it's like, oh, I'll take care of it, Lord. Do you realize that when the Lord says vengeance is mine and you refuse to let vengeance be his, you're coming against the Redeemer. Because in Hebrew, it was the kinsman's Redeemer's right to be the avenger of blood. As well as the person who would raise up an error for the name. And so when I'm like, well, I don't want you to do this, I'm refusing redemption. I'm refusing that dimension. But here is something as I was praying over Ruth, that as she met the Redeemer, here's this woman that's a Moabite, and she is brought into the lineage of all lineages. I mean, my goodness. She births what God has been prophesying about. She births the lineage that now establishes the throne the Son of Man will forever sit on. But as I was praying, I'm like, Lord, what? I don't find things to be coincidence. Start of the year, first Sunday. We're talking about the Redeemer. Lord, what do I need to know? And while I was in prayer, this stirred on me. Is that when Jesus went into the tomb, he is both God and man. But it was not the man that could get him out of that situation. Man did not raise himself up. It was not the man part that caused him to have life again. Both God and man, I'm not preaching anything other than oneness, but it was not the man part that did this. God had to redeem him out of the grave. God had to bring him up out of that. And in the year of 23, this year of keys, we have been sent into situations that I would not have chosen. I've had to endure things I would not have chosen to endure. I've had to go into my prayer closet over things that I never thought I would have to pray about. But the reason Jesus had to complete the cross through death and then go into the grave is because he came out of the grave with keys. And over the course of that year, how many of us have gone into things and have endured things that we never would have chosen? And I mean tearfully, angrily, fist shaking, get me out of this. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't. But church, I would argue that he sent us in for the keys that were in that place. 
And it's going to be this year that the Redeemer takes us out and we now have access to things that we never had access to before we went in. Because we were willing to meet the Redeemer. Ruth shows us the way. And we, our Redeemer, as they would say, our Redeemer lives. God's redemption. Because when Boaz blessed Ruth, he gave her six measures. Six measures. And what I love about that is when she gathered, she gathered an ephah, which is a bath, which is six gallons worth. But a measure is undefined. A measure is never defined. When you read it in the Bible, a measure is never defined. It is defined solely by the person who is measuring it out. This is why in Ephesians 4, 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. How much do you think God would measure out for you? How blessed are we to have a Redeemer that if we were to define the measurement, we would be shortchanging what he actually wants to give. That's in this house. That's with us today. So, let us greet one another. Let us make sure that everybody is noticed and let them know they're loved, even if you don't know what they're going through. Some people just need a hug. But let us get our heart today ready to lift our hands and worship our Redeemer. Amen.